there welcome to marvel by the month the podcast that takes you through the history of marvel comics one month at a time in this episode that month is november of 1967 my name is brian stratton and mine is rob milne rob we have read over 600 issues of marvel comics for this podcast wow i bet we've read 616 I'm just thinking it's probably that. That would be thematically appropriate. Uh, According to Marvel Unlimited, we have read 601 issues as of this episode. And uh, other than the two of us, I don't think we have forced anyone to read more of these uh, than our guest this week. (laughs) Noah Campbell, welcome back to Marvel by the Month. Yeah. Thank you. Thank you. Thank you. Noah, this is your seventh appearance on this show. Are you serious? Yeah, you've been on seven times. You have been on more than any guest we've ever had. Uh, well, I'm flattered, uh, but I actually, <laughs> for real, I thought this was like the fourth time I've been on this show. No, we have a record and it says <laughs> you've been on six I believe previous you. I times. believe you. I have a terrible memory. Um, <laughs> Crucially, this keeps you ahead of Joe Keating, uh, who is gunning for your crown. I don't know if you oh, know that. Oh, no. Yeah. Yeah. Uh, he's, he, I think he's been on five times so far, but he's he's really bound and determined to be our, our most frequent guest. So uh, he watch your watch back. His back. Yeah. He better watch his back. Oh. Uh, yeah. <laughs> Ooh. How, how have you been? What have you been up to? I have I have not been up to anything. I have been in my house for nine months straight. I'm insane. <laughs> Uh, that, that that's that was a test that that was okay. the right answer yeah 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 I've, been, I've gone to a few weddings and like big parties and whatnot uh, <laughs> a couple of white house events oh yeah 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 no that's that's good uh well uh welcome back to the show i'm i'm very sorry that we don't have an insect themed villain for you this week yeah a little disappointed but i did see that you it looks like you handpicked these uh these issues for me yeah, yeah, um, we've we've got one of your uh, your old favorites returning. Uh, I know, and I can't wait to talk about it. Uh, that was that was uh, once again my my favorite issue. I feel like uh, my first episode was was my crowning achievement. That was like that was the best episode. You gave me the best possible comics, <laughs> and it was all we had. Like you read all of the comics when you did that. You yeah. You, I, now you only have to. I only have to read three. I'll be on this show all the time if you if that's the case. That is. <laughs> <laughs> oh man. Well, yeah. So so we we've got uh we've got a Noah favorite returning. We've got uh, the debut of a new classic Thor villain. Um, and then we've also got uh, Roy Thomas very uh, cleverly getting around the comics code on a technicality. So I'm, I'm very excited to talk about all these issues. Um, but before we get into those, um, let's uh, talk a little bit about what was going on in the world uh, in November of 1967. 
Um, so I will lead us off with uh, some good news on the uh, the racial equality front, uh, November 1967. Um, so on the 2nd of November in Portland, Oregon, our fair city, African-American members brought charges of racial discrimination against the International Longshore and Warehouse Union, asserting that the union's referral system deliberately excluded black dock workers from better jobs within the industry. In 1977, a federal court would finally find in favor of the Portland workers and would order the union to eliminate its discriminatory practices. So, you know, wheels of justice, uh, grinding slow but fine, etc., etc., Uh, On the 7th of November in Cleveland, Ohio, Carl B. Stokes narrowly defeated his white opponent, Seth Taft, to become the first black candidate to be elected mayor of a major United States city. If you consider Cleveland, Ohio to be a major (laughs) United States city. Drew Carey does in that. That's enough for me. But um, yeah, good enough. Um, And and on the same day, uh, November 7th, uh, Richard G. Hatcher was elected the first African-American mayor of Gary, Indiana, which was at the time a large city of 175,000 people. Maybe not quite that many now. Um, I I think it peaked with the music man. Yeah, I I, I don't think (laughs) the last few decades have been super kind to Gary, Indiana. Yeah, they couldn't keep enough pool halls open after the music man. Um, That's all I can remember is that that was what you were frittering your time away with if you were in the pool halls. It's a a Uh, good music man pull, man. I'm impressed. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, man, I can get into musicals any day. Let's do it. Um, Let's do a podcast about it. Just kidding. Um, Welcome to musicals by the month. (laughs) Let's talk about comics instead. In history, um, on the 3rd of November in 67, Gary Trudeau, a 19-year-old sophomore at Yale University, published an editorial cartoon in the college newspaper, the Yale Daily News. While in college, Trudeau would later create a comic strip, which would become Doonesbury. Oh, Oh, man. And I believe that was, was that Elliot Kalin's gateway drug to comic books? I think so. I I think think it was him. Yeah. We'd have to re-listen to our own episodes to find out, which, you know, we won't do. Somebody tell us what we said. Uh, On the 22nd of November um, in 1967, Mark Ruffalo, the Marvel Cinematic Universe's Incredible Hulk, was born in Kenosha, Wisconsin, or Kenosha. Kenosha. That was the uh, the mutant uh, society island that got nuked, right? It was close. It's just one letter off. So, okay. uh, but it might have got nuked too. It's Wisconsin. I don't mm. know. Okay. Uh, well, I would like to tell us about a few things, a few good things that President Johnson did in November 1967. Nice. Because, you know, you got to take them where you find them. Uh, on the 7th of November, he signed the Public Broadcasting Act of 1967 into law, establishing the Corporation for Public Broadcasting. In his speech following the signing of the bill, uh, President Johnson described his vision of the future, which was, and I quote, I believe the time has come to enlist the computer and the satellite, as well as television and radio, and to enlist them in the cause of education. I think we must consider new ways to build a great network for knowledge, not just a broadcast system, but one that employs every means of sending and of storing information that the individual can use, which is a very lofty goal. Uh, And then we wound up with um, people 
sharing memes on Facebook about mm-hmm. how uh, Bill Gates is trying to implant microchips in people uh, <laughs> with the vaccine for uh, COVID. Yeah, so. it didn't turn out the way I thought it was going to turn out either. So yeah. yeah, public broadcasting still doing okay, I think. Yeah, they're but, all right. Uh, yeah, but mm. yes, I'd say the social networks are. Um, yeah. I think we made a mistake by giving everybody a voice. Uh, <laughs> that was a bad idea. And like, it, it shouldn't have been hindsight. Uh, that should have been obviously a bad idea, but right. Yeah. I feel yeah. like they knew that when they wrote the constitution, they should probably still know that, and, you know, when they start yeah. to make more egalitarian uh, means of communication. <laughs> oh, you coastal elitists. Uh, <laughs> well, here's another great thing that uh, President Johnson uh, did. On the 8th of November, uh, he signed into law a bill that ended gender discrimination in the United States Armed Services for promotion to a higher rank. Prior to the enactment of the law, women could not be promoted to the rank of general or admiral. That is so progressive. Yeah. Yeah. Right before uh, Veterans Day. Um, so good job, President Johnson. Yep. You maybe could have stopped um, a little thing that we'll talk about later, I'm sure. But uh, we but this is great. Good job now. Um, over in uh, pop culture on the 9th of uh, November, the first issue of Rolling Stone magazine made its debut as a newspaper printed and distributed in and around San Francisco. So 1967. Rolling Stone. Uh, on the 28th of November, the Beatles released their album Magical Mystery Tour in the United States with the addition of new songs to those on the album's release as a single EP in the United Kingdom. Um, added to the U.S. release were All You Need Is Love, Penny Lane, Strawberry Fields Forever, Baby You're a Rich Man, and Hello Goodbye. All you know, Almost all of those were were chart topping hits too. So it was probably good ads. Um, the double EP would go on sale in the UK on December 8th. So, uh, they're still making their, uh, their wonderful, wonderful music at this point. Yes. Yeah. Um, and, and there's echoes of that wonderful, wonderful music in the new theme song, uh, that you were good enough to write and record for us. Yeah. Um, I, so. did, I just, agonized over Sgt. Pepper's and a few Magical Mystery Tour songs and arrangements George Martin had made, like looking them up in my what I call the Beatles Bible that has all the music. Um, so yeah, there are, there are references. I also was looking at listening to a lot of Jimi Hendrix Are You Experienced too. So yeah. But I can't play that well, so that's not in there. Uh, well, in Space Race News uh, on the 9th of November at 7 in the morning at Cape Kennedy in Florida, which, as we know, Magneto once conquered. Agreed. Uh, NASA successfully launched the powerful Saturn V rocket, resuming the Apollo program after nine months. The very next day, the U.S. lunar probe Surveyor 6 made a soft landing on the moon and began transmitting images back to Earth. At a press conference afterward, NASA program manager Benjamin Milwitzki said, We have now satisfied all our obligations to explore beforehand the four equatorial sites believed safest for manned landings in the Apollo program. So really, this seems like a pretty great month where nothing bad happened at all. Yeah, great. Let's just wrap up there instead of talking about Vietnam. Um, No, let's talk about Vietnam. We need you to know what's happening when these comics came out because uh, I sometimes it matters and sometimes it doesn't. Yeah. <laughs> to, well, to what stands and, right and also, you know, Flash Thompson is over in Vietnam right now, so we got to know what he, what he's confronting. Yeah. Well, um, 
Let's find out. On the 11th of November in Saigon, officials with uh, General William C. Westmoreland's office told reporters that the estimated number of communist forces in the Vietnam War had declined to only 242,000 men and explained that the decrease was due to heavy casualties and plummeting morale. In reality, the decrease came because Westmoreland's command had decided in July that some categories of Viet Cong fighters should be dropped from the total estimate, which had been tallied at 299,000 at the beginning of 1967 in order to maintain the public position that communist forces were less than 300,000. So they just they just stopped counting all of them. Well, they I mean, they recategorized. Some people are, are like half communist. It's like a different setting. Unbelievable. Um, So on the 29th of November, after President Johnson rejected his recommendations to freeze troop levels, stop the bombing of North Vietnam and hand over ground fighting to South Vietnam, U.S. Secretary of Defense Robert S. McNamara announced his resignation. So, uh, you know, a little bit of spine. Great job, Bob. (laughs) Thanks for your service. (laughs) Uh, well, and there were some repercussions from uh, Johnson's mishandling of Vietnam um, on the 27th of November. For the first time in public opinion polls, New York's U.S. Senator Robert F. Kennedy was favored by more poll respondents than incumbent President Johnson. 52% of those surveyed said that they preferred Kennedy, while 32% wanted to see Johnson renominated, and another 16% were undecided. So Bobby, who's not running at this point, uh, was polling better than the president. Um, And then three days later, uh, on the 30th of November, U.S. Senator Eugene McCarthy of Minnesota announced his candidacy for the 1968 Democratic Party presidential nomination in a direct challenge to the renomination of President Johnson. So, yeah, uh, party's not happy with him. His approval's uh, plummeting um, and uh, things are getting real for the president. I wonder it would be worth diving into to find out if it was more about his uh, handling of Vietnam or his like the stuff we were saying was a good job earlier may have been the reason why he wasn't pulling yeah. so well. Yeah. Some of that stuff yeah. wasn't super popular since <laughs> apparently it's, some of that stuff isn't popular even now. Yeah. Right? Yeah. I still keep waiting for people to kind of come to their senses, but um, yeah, no, I, uh, I don't think that's going to happen. Uh, <laughs> Uh, <laughs> yeah all right well uh, uh, on that uh, on that super optimistic <laughs> note uh let's uh let's take our first break of the episode uh and then when we come back uh we'll retreat into the safe and friendly world of the marvel comics of november 1967 here on marvel by the month welcome back to marvel by the month Let's do the quick hits. Amazing Spider-Man number 57. Spidey still has amnesia after his fight with Doc Ock, and he spends most of the issue on the run from Kazar, who's visiting New York. Yeah, Kazar gets sort of like inadvertently hired, although I don't think he actually accepts the offer from J. Jonah Jameson uh, to track down Spidey. But yeah, it's it's an excuse to have their Tarzan knockoff uh, chasing Spidey around in the urban jungle. Yeah. I feel like it should have been Craven, but Kazar came into town. Um, there must've been some Kazar versus Craven stories, right? I can't I think of so. any off the top of my head, but that is just a natural pairing. Yeah. I, yeah. I feel like 
Craven maybe gets his, loses his vest but wants a new vest and then starts fighting with Kazar because um, he wants Zabu's pelt. Yep. 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 There you go. <laughs> uh, somebody Tom- <laughs> write that if it's not written. Okay, there we go. Um, Tom, Tom Brevoort, if you're still listening, <laughs> <laughs> send me yeah, send me an update from the blog explaining these Craven Kazar fights, please. <laughs> I do enjoy them. Um, Okay, quick hits. Avengers number 48. The Avengers finally discover that Magneto has imprisoned Quicksilver and the Scarlet Witch, but they spend most of the issues scrapping with the new Black Knight instead of rescuing them. So they know they're, you know, caught. They just don't get to them yet. Right. And and the new Black Knight is what the nephew of the original villainous Black Knight, but he's actually a good guy. Uh, This is the Dane Whitman Black Knight. Um, Yeah. Uh, who I believe has figured pretty prominently um, recently in Marvel Comics with the King in Black storyline. Um, I hope so. I'm not up to date on that. I just started to scratch the surface, but um, but he Dane Whitman's uh, one of one of my favorite characters from Defenders era and other you know um, other groups he's been a part of. So yeah. that's cool. When yeah. I was reading Avengers in the 80s, which is my gateway drug into Marvel Comics, uh, Dane Whitman was a, a major player, that that version of the Black Knight. So uh, it was nice to see him show up finally. Here he is over in uh, <laughs> Captain Savage in his leatherneck Raiders number one. Um, <laughs> the last bonsai, <laughs> uh, a new Marvel series set during World War Two spun out of Sergeant Fury, but it's not on Marvel Unlimited. And um, as we know, uh, or as we asked Tom Brevoort about, uh, sometimes those uh, take a lot longer to find the original art and get them scanned in. So maybe someday we will uh, we'll come back to just Sergeant Fury podcast once we've yeah. caught up, you know, in 20 years. So, so just a little backstory on this one. Um, so this is a, a point where Marvel was able to start publishing more comics because their distribution deal. So their distribution was controlled by DC Comics at this era. Um, but because Marvel was selling so well, national publications let them publish a few more books. Captain Savage was one of their attempts to kind of broaden the line a little bit. War comics, they thought this is a can't miss, uh, you know, no brainer. Like these are going to do great. This lasted 19 issues because uh, Vietnam uh, made people uh, not quite as keen on reading comics about war. So, yeah, uh, yeah so Captain Savage did not last all that long. Wow. Well, in Fantastic Four number 71, the mad thinker is in jail, but his android continues tearing up the Baxter building. The unbrainwashed thing rejoins the team to send it into the negative zone, but Reed decides superheroing is too dangerous for his pregnant wife, of course, and he announces they're quitting the team. So uh, they need to keep the baby out of the negative zone, which, I mean, does make some sense. That's (laughs) like, let's not. Let's not stick the pregnant lady in the radiation or whatever, you know, other rules you might make if you're in the Fantastic Four. But it is, you know, Sue could maybe make the choice for herself. I was going to say, maybe she could uh, weigh (laughs) in on that one, but different time. Yeah. Oh, man. And in Not Brand Act number six. Rob's uh, favorite comic. My favorite comic. um, The only thing worth mentioning is the third story. With this ring, I the web, uh, which gets reused a few years later at uh, Doc Ock and Aunt May's wedding. Um, Spidey Man is engaged to marry the Wisp, but 
Auntie May smooshes her with a fly swatter. None of these are jokes. <laughs> yeah, <sighs> it's um, it's more not Brandeck. Uh, it it doesn't get better. <laughs> I still refuse. Um, so Sergeant Fury number fifty, which we didn't read, uh, is called "On the Beach Waits Death." Um, it's, uh, it's not on Marvel Unlimited, which is why we didn't read it, but. <laughs> we assume it's a comics adaptation of Albert Camus' The Stranger. Oh, yeah. Uh, I mean, that yeah, makes, makes sense. perfect sense. Yep. That's a joke for Cure fans. Yep. I do, <laughs> I do love that song. Um, so, Strange Tales number 165. Um, Nick Fury still fighting that yellow claw, and we are still waiting to get past this storyline. Um, and the Sorcerer Supreme continues his battle against the Scientist Supreme, Yandroth. In his quest to rescue Victoria Bentley. Just treading water. Yep. One um, uh, question really quick about the yellow claw. Yep. Yep. Because I heard you guys uh, <laughs> talking about that. We have a lot of questions about the yellow claw, but go ahead. Um, I heard. I, I was listening to you guys discussing that and uh, how there was some relief that at least he had yellow claws. Um, <laughs> but uh, the other question is, did he name himself that? That's his name? <laughs> That's what the, that's what he came up with. One must that, assume. Yeah, that's it. That's his nom yeah. de guerre. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, that's uh, real iffy. Uh, yeah, yeah. I do. Uh, I have. I've been becoming more and more curious about the origin story of the yellow claw. Like, uh, <laughs> but you know, that's a different. It it may have happened in the golden age. Um, I doubt it. I bet he just showed up. Fully yeah. formed. I mean, it, there there were only four issues uh, that he appeared in in the Golden Age, and I I haven't read any of them. Um, when we get uh, Noah's rival Joe Keating back on, we'll ask him about it. Uh, but <laughs> um, but yeah, my my guess is that because he's such a, a a very thin Fu Manchu knockoff, I think my 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 uh hypothesis is that he just showed up one day and everyone was like oh okay it's it's fu manchu but a different name um yeah so yeah but i want his origin i want to know like if he fell into a vat of chicken feet or something well i know, you know well, he, um, he's he's 150 years old and he's an alchemist that's the right. only thing i know so it's good enough yeah. i'll take it yeah. um okay well, let's let's wrap up these quicks um oh yeah tales of suspense number 98 uh captain america arrives in wakanda only to be immediately tested by the Black Panther because that's how he rolls. He just um, loves beating superheroes up as soon as they arrive in Wakanda, and then he has to test friends. if you're an impossible. If you can't fight the Black Panther, if you can't, he already knows how Captain America is going to fight. And if you don't fight like Captain America, you're not Captain America. So, what what are you going to do? Like ask him questions? No, you're going <laughs> to jump him, start a fight. So you you could ask questions. I'm <laughs> well, just saying, yeah. yeah. Let's I mean, maybe we'll get back to that as sort of, um, you know, diplomacy as a policy, but uh, not not with not with Wakanda right now. That's just how they roll. Um, so the the two of them head out to deal with the threat uh, that the Panther discovered her, who turns out to be Baron Zemo. Yeah. Um, who we thought was dead. Yeah. We um, thought it was very dead. Yeah. After his big reveal in the previous issue, Whiplash finally gets a chance to do something like anything at all in this issue, namely whip the ass off Iron Man. Literally whips his butt off. Yep. Um, yep. Just like Literally? bits of the armor. 
Yeah, like yeah. like armor flying everywhere, and then and his butt's exposed. He's got underpants on. I think I didn't. Yeah. Right. Let me write down the name of this comic. <laughs> <laughs> exposed butt of Tony Stark. Yeah, um, <laughs> I'm googling it right now. <laughs> exposed butt of Tony Stark. I think I am going to Google that actually. <laughs> uh. Uh, and finally, in Tales to Astonish number 100, written by Stan Lee, art by Marie Severin, uh, with Dan Adkins, as a 100th issue celebration, Hulk and Submariner share a single 22-page story and fight through most of it. So uh, the battle ends in somewhat of a draw as the Hulk turns back into Bruce Banner and Namor walks away, not recognizing him. Uh, it's also the return of the Puppet Master, who is now... Back to looking like Uncle Fester. Um, yeah. Yeah. It's like th- there's there's some inconsistency in, in how he's portrayed these last this last year or so. Like so it, at first he's creepy doll. That's his original appearance. And then after a few appearances, he kind of he gets plastic surgery mm-hmm. um, and then he looks and a like turtleneck. Uncle Fester. Yeah. And a turtleneck. Right. Um, and then. I feel like the last time we saw him, he was back to creepy doll look. Yeah. Uh, and then now he's back to the uncle fester look. So there's, there's some continuity issues here. Yeah. Or he's just got a surgeon that's, he keeps busy, you know? Like, right. Yeah. I, yeah. Or there's two of them, or you can try to win a no prize. True believers. Let us know why this <laughs> keeps happening. So you don't even get an envelope from us though. Um, so <laughs> you get something more, yeah. uh, so, Brian, do you want to take us into some uh, deeper dives? Oh, you know I do. Um, I'm very excited uh, to get us into talking about Daredevil number 36. Uh, the title of this story is The Name of the Game is Mayhem. It's written by Stan Lee. The art is by Gene Colan, inked by Frank Giacoya. This is part two of the two-issue story featuring the return of the Trapster, who we will never not call Pastepot Pete. Oh um, yeah, Noah. Yeah. We picked this one specifically for you. <laughs> I really appreciate that. I was excited when you uh, reached out, and I saw um, the trapster in here. <clears throat> I just remember when we uh, when I first met Pace Pot Pete. I thought he was just a throwaway villain because he was so stupid. And then you were uh, when you told me that he he's <laughs> part of the Marvel universe. I was dying. Uh, uh, and also, um, this I think this is the. Th- the third comic I've read with him in it. I think I, uh, last time I was, uh, doing this trapster was part of that team of idiots that, um, Oh, the, the, uh, the frightful four. Yes. Uh, yeah, the team of idiots like bickering right. the entire time. Um, but he, his nickname backfired like, uh, pace pot Pete is a, is a stupid name, but it's sort of unforgettable. Um, but I, I just loved how, uh, Daredevil's calling him trappy. Uh, There's got to be a moment where he's like, "Ah, why did I change my damn name? Like, yeah, trappy is uh, a really humiliating, I think, uh, nickname. Yeah. Yeah. I think it could be like the goop monster or something, you know? Um, Yeah. There there could have been numerous. uh, Sticky boy. Baseball Pete was maybe, (laughs) uh, I mean, like, I can understand why you would want to rename yourself. Yeah. and uh, Pace Pot Pete's uh, his—he's a genius, is he? Isn't he? 
I mean, like he I makes mean, those anti-gravity discs and things. No, like he got that. those from the wizard, the wingless oh, wizard. Um, he did. Yeah, yeah, his buddy okay. in the frightful force. So he just so got he's that. just a crook. That's all he is. He's, he's got his paste. He makes he's paste. a crook with paste. <laughs> yeah. Well. Oh, yeah. And uh, we'll talk about his paste. But he uh, he upgraded his paste, which I was very impressed uh, <laughs> by, um, because uh, long ago. Uh, I noticed that asbestos is uh, a recurring a reoccurring theme uh, in these comics, and I just assumed because in the '60s it was such an amazing, marvelous technology, uh, and we were so blown away by the what asbestos could do. They always act like it's just this cutting edge uh, technology. But yeah, 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 it's like it's like carbon fiber Kevlar. You know, it's like yeah, something yeah. that somebody's gonna. <laughs> say some bizarre word asbestos was that cool <laughs> then it's like <laughs> yeah there's um pretty much every time i've read any of these comics asbestos comes up in one of them uh, yeah, oh yeah and, and, it's and like, oh no oh yeah. what are we gonna do it's like it's asbestos or um the one where the the hulk's being made to like fight uh in the like as a gladiator uh and oh, uh, right. there's the yeah. asbestos shield in that one it's just yep. like uh just <laughs> Just shows up everywhere. But oh, this yeah. one, uh, I knew this was going to be great because I knew um, uh, the Trapster was in it. But right off the bat, this oh, one boy, this, this first uh, panel, man, like, yeah, yeah, it's he's so the, the first thing gross. he says is Mr. Fantastic's wife glued to the floor. It's like she <laughs> knows her name, but yeah. it's Mr. Fantastic. He's like two feet away from her, uh, yeah. and instead of thinking to himself who that is, Sue, that he's just like. <laughs> <laughs> this panel upsets me for a number of reasons. Um, the the first, gross. the yeah. first is that, like you just pointed out, uh, he he sees uh, Sue Storm or Sue Richards, you know, unconscious on the floor of the Baxter Building, um, and his first thought is it's Mister Fantastic's wife. So already, <laughs> like, we're not getting off to a great start here. Um, and then also, like, uh, okay, again, I'm kind of a, a comics dummy. Right. I know he's blind and he's right. got uh, heightened uh, sonar sense or whatever, but mm-hmm. um, he can recognize a person who's just laying still on the floor as who they are. That's yeah. Yeah. Okay. I, mean, I mean, obviously can, but um, not, not to get too creepy, uh, but I think it's like he has been close enough to smell her before. So. I was just yeah. going to say yeah. smelling. Yeah. yeah. So that's, yeah. that's also, you know, also, like she's clearly unconscious. So it's like the first thing you see is like an unconscious woman, like lying on the floor of the issue. And then like just it's it's like she's covered in like goo. White yeah. goop. It's just yeah. white goop. It's man. Come on. Yeah. <laughs> like I know I know we're we're a, a grosser and worse society now. And we're looking back at this with modern <laughs> eyes. But come on <laughs> it does it doesn't seem innocent uh yeah it, it it's so hard to not have like a 12 year old brain just go what in the hell is happening here yeah. this is uh yeah something grossly sexual but it's so, not so yeah. let's let's move quickly past this first panel <laughs> fair enough uh, yep, yep. and so so what what has happened is that uh I'm just I'm going to only refer to him as Pacebot Pete, like screw calling him a tra- trap. Star. All right. Um, he has left a bomb in a desk. Uh, and the idea is that when someone comes in to rescue Sue, the bomb's going to go off and, and kill them. OK, but Daredevil 
He's got super senses. He hears the ticking of the bomb. Uh, he grabs. He, he uses his billy club to grab the bomb and chuck it out the window uh, where it explodes. Um, and then outside of the Baxter building, uh, on street level, uh, Reed Richards, who is dressed as the Gorton's fisherman. Uh, for, <laughs> yeah, I don't know what's reason. going on there. Yeah, yeah, he's just like, he's like running around in a yellow raincoat. Um, no one else has a raincoat on. Yeah. No one else has a raincoat. Johnny Storm is behind him in a red raincoat. Uh, but yeah, it's, it's like they've just, you know, finished filming a fish sticks commercial. It's a cloudless uh, sky. Also, they established <laughs> yeah, that. Yes, uh, yes. Uh, he's, he's a cautious man. Um, uh, they see the explosion, uh, and they come, uh, running upstairs, um, and they discover that Daredevil has just rescued, uh, Sue from this. Um, and then it just leads us to yet another awkward panel. Uh, yeah, this was four. a real weird one. This one stood out. Yep. Um, so he's basically Daredevil's alone with Sue. He pries her up off the ground. Um, and, they're like, oh shit, something's going on up there. Like the this huge explosion happens. They run up and they look guilty as hell. Uh, Daredevil, they're telling too, off. Yeah, they're smiling. Uh, they're they both have towels somehow. Um, and they're wiping themselves off. She's wiping off her head. He's wiping off his belly and arms. And uh, he says, oh. They're like, oh, Daredevil, what are you doing here? What happened? And he said, uh, uh, she says, well, our free swinging friend saved my life for one thing. And he says, we had a, a rather, we had rather a sticky time of it, gents. Uh, and they're like, thank God. Instead of being like, dude, you, you can't just slither in through a window and uh and be wiping yourself down and saying how sticky you are uh <laughs> yeah it's it's also stanley has to stop using swinger to describe his superheroes yeah i, I understand it with spider-man because like you know he swings you know from bar but daredevil doesn't do a lot of sw- i mean he might do a lot of swinging but i don't think it's uh with that two foot <laughs> fucking whip that he uses that whip i mean we kind of glossed over those uh, and again like i didn't I actually looked up what the hell is that thing? I looked it up online, uh-huh. a weird like nunchuck billy club whip thing. And Came. it's like, yeah, it's not easy, easily defined when he uses it to, to deal with that bomb. He, he, it looks like it's about a two foot long whip. He whips it out and uses it to open a drawer. And then he whips it again. And um, he grabs the package by just the um, the wrapping. Uh, like he he has such good aim uh, that he was able to grab a, a wrapped present is what it looks like. He grabs it by the wrap uh, by the bow or the um, whatever that is the 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 outer bow, and then he slings it out the window. And also he thinks to himself for a second that uh, it might just be a present, but uh, <laughs> you know. Like but he'll just apologize if it's not or if, if, it, if it doesn't if it explode. Yeah, yeah. right. Uh, and then he's <laughs> yeah. all gloating because uh, he doesn't have to apologize to anybody. Which just confirms my suspicion that as Stan is writing Daredevil stories, he's just mentally thinking Spider-Man. And then he just like like find and replaces Spider-Man with Daredevil in his head. And like <laughs> yeah. that's you know, pretty much. Yeah, or he just says Spider-Man. Yeah. Spider-Man like using his web to like open the drawer and then sling the package out the window makes sense. Right. But using that. uh the weirdest and I, I hate to say it because Daredevil's cool, but it's a lame weapon. Yeah. 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 Uh, Dare, Daredevil. <laughs> cool. Daredevil is now cool. We we have talked about how at, at this point, like Stan hasn't figured out really how to write Daredevil. So, yeah, it, it's yeah. Uh, 
it's it, we're a ways off from that. Daredevil's mm-hmm. done a couple of cool things. One was just continuing to fight Namor despite Namor being obviously four billion times more powerful than him. He just like where he's like reaching out to grab his ankle as he's walking away from him. He's like, he won't give up. So that's that's where you get like this little kernel of a core of that character. But it hasn't been revisited in that way for quite a while. Yeah. Um, Yeah. Uh, So then uh, moving on, we see uh, Pacebot Pete is flying around outside on a gadget that the wizard built for him with anti-grav discs. Um, So this gadget is, um, it's just basically, I'm not familiar with this artist, uh, Gene Colon. Yeah. Yeah. Um, But this, uh, this gadget, it's like a flying carpet made of iron or something. Yeah. It's, it's, it's sort of like, like, I I don't even know how you describe it. It looks like a car fender to me. It looks like an inflatable raft sometimes uh on on page seven uh it doesn't it's an indecipherably drawn like the the where the light's hitting it and stuff it it doesn't make any sense but yeah it's it's essentially like a metal flying carpet as far as i can tell it's just it's it's like a curved piece of metal that has some anti-grav discs yeah but you're right it's it's very hard to get a clear read on what exactly this thing looks like yeah it Um, looks like the hood of a studebaker with a bunch you know it's just like this big chunk of metal that's curved weirdly and you can't tell how and yeah yeah, makes no sense sense. right so so daredevil you know like sees quote unquote uh he hears it he hears Um, it yeah what's that sound and everybody's like you're crazy he did he detects uh pete first so he gets dibs on dealing with him um and then (laughs) so he calls it yeah that's like reads like let's go after him he's like no he's mine they uh they get into some crazy aerial acrobatics it gets really intense and then it culminates in this beautiful like full page splash on page 10 of daredevil and pete like wrangling uh, on this thing as it's going through like a narrow corridor of two skyscrapers it's it's pretty great stuff um with like all the aerial fighting and everything um yeah. so so uh you know daredevil's tussling with with pace Pot pete and then we cut to the offices of nelson and murdoch and rob what's going on in the offices of <laughs> nelson and murdoch well, uh, Foggy has been recruited to run for DA, uh, which didn't turn out great for him last time. Uh, then he gets a call from Debbie Harris, who is one of the reasons it didn't turn out great for him last time. Uh, and uh, extensive recap of one of the weirdest Daredevil issues ever. He like we Wally Wood was on his way out and just made some insane thing that Stan had to half write and, uh, I, was that the master planner? I can't remember which villain that uh, was. Then. It was um, the organizer. The organizer. That's, the name. That's it. That's the villain's name. So if you know to shudder in fear at the name of the organizer. Yeah, the trapper oh. keeper. <laughs> <laughs> I, I will. Uh, I do want to quickly jump back to when uh, Human Torch was about to fight. Oh, right. Yes. Um he uh because i do love to talk about human torch and he's he's i was excited when he was in this but he gets i'm sorry we almost denied you the chance to talk about johnny's story but please he got benched uh, real fast yeah when pace pot pete shows up uh before daredevil can fight uh human torch just takes the initiative and he says at the risk of sounding like a full-time cornball this is a job for the human torch flame on and then they say no torch wait and instead of flying out the open window which is fully open and a human can easily climb through it 
He just smashes through the part that's not open and shatters the window in their own office. Like right above Daredevil too. Yeah. Yeah. Daredevil. If you look, the the window's wide enough for two full grown men to climb out, but instead Mm -hmm. uh, human torch just smashes out the part that is made of glass still, uh, which I'm sure costs, you know, even in in the sixties probably costs a hundred bucks to get. And is is sending shards of glass down into Daredevil. Who's going out the bottom part. And also down onto the people on the street that are like, 20 stories below but for some reason daredevil knows that paste pot pete has a new kind of paste uh asbestos paste which mm-hmm. does make sense because last time uh when when he was paste pot pete uh human torch just kicked his ass uh yeah yep and you like his paste he used his torch on the paste and really kind of humiliated him so i i i understand why he would make that but um, I love that like his pace now is it has asbestos in it, and if he even hits Torch, he would just plummet to his death. That's- <laughs> <laughs> so yeah. that's that's how they uh, convince the uh, Torch to come back, so that Daredevil can deal with it. Right, right, and and so after uh, after kind of wrestling with uh, Pace Pot Pete, uh, Daredevil knocks a few of the anti grav discs off of his flying gadget. Um, which causes it to start plummeting and he crashes it right into Central Park. <laughs> um, and then they they start brawling through a department store uh, and then Daredevil just tackles Pete down a huge flight of subway station stairs. Like, uh, and, and to his credit, uh, he tries to keep Pete from like breaking his neck going down the stairs, uh, but he messes up his own back doing it. Yeah, he throws um, his back out, which he I thought was hilarious. He's, he's thinking, at least he's thinking this to himself and not saying it out loud because he does talk to himself out loud earlier. He does, yes. Absurd. But he says uh, uh, he can't take this kind of fall uh, as well as I. Uh, so I try to keep his head from hitting the stairs, but in doing so, I, I wrenched my own back. So he, Yeah, this but, honestly, I, I identified with Daredevil so much. Yeah, at this me point. too, but like, uh, yeah. I shouldn't. I sh- <laughs> That shouldn't happen. I shouldn't no. be able to identify with a superhero, especially when it's throwing out your back by wrestling around in the in the subway. Like, <laughs> yeah. yeah, I, I throw I, out my back by trying to not spill my drink while walking up the stairs. You I know? just feel like, uh. you know, it would be cooler if like Pacepot had like a dagger on him or something, you know, and he stabbed him or something. But instead it was, uh, he tried to cushion um, Pacepot's head so it wouldn't hit the stairs really hard. And then he throws out his back and he's like, oh, I can't stand up. And uh, <laughs> yeah. I, that was sort of a letdown, but also I was pretty delighted in the, the silly, the lame. I've never seen it. a superhero throw his back out. And that, <laughs> that's the peril that he's in. So I think I, giant man has, or ant man or Goliath, sure. but yeah, I mean, no. certainly, I mean, he's <laughs> not, not, a, not much of a superhero. I, I think Stan was about as old as we are when he wrote this story so it's like i absolutely understand why he this is the first thing he would go to it's like like when you fall but the guy jumps out of routinely jumps out of skyscraper windows and bounces around on flagpoles and you know and is a swinger uh but uh he it when he falls down a flight of stairs that's where stan's like no when you fall down stairs this is where things go wrong you know uh you can fight all you want and crash landed anti-grav garbage can lid in a central park but stairs that's where you can get your back thrown out yeah um, yeah so 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 daredevil uh, he's out of commission because he messed up his back uh he hears the cops take pete away and falls unconscious under a train platform uh when he comes to the first thing he sees is an armored boot 
and it belongs to Doctor Doom. <laughs> <laughs> That's a pretty uh, good cliffhanger. Yeah, I, I do love that. We he hurts his back fighting Pacepot Pete, and now he's got to deal with Doctor Doom. <laughs> it's yeah, just yeah, like yeah. he's just dead. Like yeah. just this. There's no next issue. Just um, call it, man. <laughs> yeah, I do and that like was the uh, last uh, issue that Daredevil was ever in. Which is crazy. <laughs> <laughs> one one thing I have to say about Triple P in this story, um, and I do like calling him Triple P now. This yep. is pretty fun. Um, when he's dressed as Daredevil the last issue when he's, right. when he's mm-hmm. uh, infiltrating the Baxter building, when he when says he up Sue Richards. Yeah. Right yeah. before he's headed in and he's got all, he's putting all his makeup on and doing his dressed up as daredevil. He says, the plan is perfect. He's saying it to himself, looking into a mirror, <laughs> utterly <laughs> foolproof. I've left nothing to chance. And, um, you know, like when mad thinker says that all the time, cause he's, he's actually had some computers run the numbers. Triple P does not have a clue and he is a fool. So yeah. even if it's foolproof, he's more foolish than that. So uh, he does do a pretty good job when he, you know, when we start out with all the goo, but I just loved whenever I see that now, it makes me belly laugh. Like uh, <laughs> whenever a villain says I've left nothing to chance, there's nothing that can go wrong with this plan. Pretty sure you left something to chance. <laughs> yeah. yeah. This has actually, there's two more things I'd like to talk about on this, uh, <laughs> oh, please. which is um, their fight is pretty epic. It actually goes on for numerous pages and, mm. and, and it's pretty badass. They wind up on the ground and um, daredevil is kicking pace pot Pete in the face. And he <laughs> says out loud, uh, I'll admit I don't have any gooey guns, but <laughs> But for what I lack in weapons, and then he clenches his ha- two hands together, raises them over his head, and then brings them down really hard. Uh, I make up, uh, it, I try to make up in enthusiasm, which is one of my favorite movie attack moves, which is just uh, lock your two hands together, raise them above your head, and then bring them down really hard on somebody. Yeah. Which I've never, ever seen anyone do that in, in except for like fight. pro wrestling. Um, yeah. Yep. I don't think it works. I, I Captain Kirk uh, has done it quite a bit. Yeah, you're right. Uh, actually, that is uh, that is the those one are time real fights. It, right? That's like his main go to move, I think. Uh, and then um, he makes a comment, which is 100 percent true. When he's so while they're fighting on that weird anti grav metal carpet or whatever, uh, he starts uh, Daredevil starts yanking the anti grav discs off of it, and he says uh, while he's doing it. Know something, son? It's too bad you're not a businessman. If you could sell this ride to an amusement park, you'd put the roller coaster out of business, which I, is true. And it's I'm glad somebody said it. Like anti grab discs, I feel like those are priceless. But yeah. he's trying to use them to like rip off like an armored truck, you know, like a, a bank job or something. I, right. I, that's and I was saying it way back then. These these guys are like, uh, you know, you're a brilliant genius. I guess he didn't make these things. So, uh, I'm a little disappointed, but um. But he could he could give them to someone who could reverse engineer them and license them yeah, out. Like, and, yeah. He has he has money. fireproof glue. Like I mean, yeah. even that's worth something. It, like it's that's a whole empire. Well, there you go. There's a there's your your weekly dose of Daredevil. Um, we'll take a break, uh, and when we come back, Rob's going to tell us what Thor was up to this month here on Marvel by the Month. <laughs> Thor number 148 let there be chaos 
written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby with Vince Coletta. Uh, there's also the backup story. And finally, Black Bolt, written by Stan Lee, art by Jack Kirby with Joe Sinnott inking, which is it's better. Um, so <laughs> <laughs> last issue, Loki in disguise bailed the powerless except for his strength Thor out of jail so he could beat him up. <laughs> and because Thor was in jail for trying to being hypnotized by the ringmaster and trying to steal a giant golden bowl. Um, That's what the circus will get you. <laughs> in this issue, Odin has had enough of his kids fighting and he blasts them with a cosmic bolt that leaves Loki just as powerless as Thor. Um, Loki wisely decides to get out of there. And Thor and Balder unwisely decide to let him get out of there. Uh, yeah. yeah. And then meanwhile, elsewhere in the city, we learn that a new criminal named the Wrecker has been burgling all over town. <laughs> Brian, haven't we already met the Wrecker? No, we have it met. Says two- introducing the pounding power of the Wrecker. Yeah. Uh, he was a new dude. We have met two other Wreckers so far in Marvel Comics. Uh, the first one was a guy named Carl Court. Uh, who tricked the Fantastic Four into fighting the Hulk in their first encounter. Uh, The second one was a guy named Frank Smith. Uh, He ran a jewelry store protection racket until Giant Man and the Wasp caught him. Uh, But this guy, this is the third wrecker uh, in Marvel Comics. Uh, He's the one that most Marvel fans are familiar with. He's certainly the one that's lasted the longest. Um, He's the guy with the purple ski mask and the crowbar. So, yeah, if you're if if you're familiar with Marvel Comics and you know the Wrecker, this is the one uh, that we've been waiting to meet. Wrecker the third. Yes. Um, yeah, and he looks like a like a henchman that kind yes. of struck out on his own. Like, a, yeah, definitely looks like a henchman. He looks like a, there's a chromosomal thing going on with him. Like he his, look- his face is just like impossibly wide. Like yeah. his his mouth. just He looks like a Muppet. Really? I, like, yeah, yeah. His his nose is about seven and a half inches wide. His mouth is like maybe a Wider. foot and a half. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. His teeth are those of the horse. Yeah. yeah. The, he, he has <laughs> tiny little beady eyes poking out from this purple knit cap, the ski mask. Um, yeah. I mean, he, he looks like a generic Jack Kirby thug. Yeah. Uh, I was going to say, I, I actually thought that when I was, I was like, that's what I think when I think a thug like a comic book thug, uh, that's what it is. Yeah. Um, that where the, the eyes are too far apart. The mouth is gigantic. The teeth are like flying out of the mouth. Like it, it, he just looks, he doesn't look super bright, but I will say, um, I like him. Yeah. Oh yeah. yeah. I, There's uh, something. He doesn't they, seem like, I was like, is this guy even a villain? Cause the first <laughs> people he robbed, I think they might've deserved it. Well, they, they were richy snobby folks. Uh, I mean, he, yeah. he ties up their Butler. If that tells you anything about the people here, yeah, he's the working man's, uh, he's that's so yeah. Going back to his costume, his, he, his costume looks like there should be eight other people wearing the same costume. With exactly. Him. He's a henchman. And yeah, Dr. Doom like, should be coming in behind them. You know, like he that's what he's working like. all alone. He, he <laughs> needs somebody to be making decisions for him. Yeah. That, that thing doesn't uh, work alone. It's like the costume needs more people wearing it. It's a Hydra right. kind of thing. The decisions yeah. that are made for him are beat that guy up. Uh, <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but so, the guy I like that um the first people that he robs where he ties up their butler they come home they're they're totally upset um the 
his chubby wife is like, my jewels, they're gone. And all of your bonds as well. And at, at this point, like, I have no sympathy uh, for these guys. And then this asshole calls the cops and he's like, no, not just any policeman. I want the commissioner and I yep. want him now. Who the fuck calls the cops and says that garbage? <laughs> this guy is the most entitled prick. Uh, yeah. And at that point, I was like, this guy... The wrecker sounds like a pretty cool dude, actually. Uh, yeah. Because he didn't, you know, he could have come in there and just killed the butler, taken everything. It probably would have been easier than tying him up. This is, It's kind of an elaborate tie job and gagged him with a like a handkerchief or something. So at this point, I'm like, the, the wrecker just needs money. I don't know. Maybe he's like got a payday loan that went sideways. Uh, yeah. That's a good account. And he's done. I mean, he's, he's, he's a bad guy, but he's not a bad guy. Exactly. <laughs> and yeah, he's, exactly. Uh, he's done uh, over the years. He's done, you know, co- there, there's been a few moments of, of um, humanity and goodness in his badness, but, uh, but, and, and the wrecking crew turns out to be a pretty good set of villains sometimes. Oh, the wrecking crew is great. Yeah. I can't wait till we meet them, but, <laughs> but that's in, in a future issue. Yeah. But uh, yeah. now back in, lame dr blake's office uh <laughs> thor orders out for food for him and balder and sif uh and so they're just hanging out in the in the office and within a gloomy rented room loki asks for a power loan from the norn queen so he's like odin took my power but i know some people so uh he calls in for some power but the wrecker breaks into loki's room and lays him out with a crowbar before the Norn Queen can answer, which which, which I just I, I love this, this. So this is on page eight. Uh, the wrecker is like he's he's coming through the window with the crowbar, and Loki says, "An intruder actually daring to threaten me, fool! <laughs> I'll crush you like a flea." Two panels later, you just see Loki's unconscious, cr- yeah. like yeah, unconscious, laying on his face, like yeah. his feet are just sticking out of the corner of the panel, and the, <laughs> the there's a crowbar laying on, on him. him. Yeah. <laughs> <It's>, <laughs> Uh, yeah, awesome. the, so uh, Wrecker breaks in, takes out Loki just in time, puts on Loki's hat because he's just trying it on because it's a pretty cool hat. Um, and the Norn Queen just mistakes him for Loki and gives him all the magic powers. So he's got Asgardian power up. Um, and then she just bails. She's like, that's good. You know, like, you, yeah, uh, now you owe me or whatever. She's like, you know, yeah. my debt's been paid later, Loki. Yeah. But here's another uh, a panel on page eight. Um, when he attacks Loki and Loki's like, basically I'll crush you like a fleet. Loki's threatening this maniac, but he, he throws his crowbar and says, I'll just dust you enough to keep you quiet till I'm done. So even then he just decides not to like cave his head in, but just like knock him silly a little bit. Like, so this is the second time he's found a victim and has like consciously not not hurt him he just wants yeah. money and loot you know he yeah. dropped yep. all his loot earlier and he's like i need to find another victim so i mean like yeah he's not a good guy but um you know, he's not the worst yeah For, yeah he's not killing people he's just hitting them upside the head with a crowbar yeah and taking their, their loot also i don't think i realized until this moment that loki's ponytail is a part of his hat oh it's yeah it's not yeah, it's it's not. Oh, no, it's like he's yeah. got normal business hair when when he takes his hat off. Yeah, oh, yeah, yeah. So I don't he's know. all he's yeah. all business until the hat goes on, and then right. there's there's that the is party, party time. Yeah. 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 Um, party so, <laughs> so so now we've got juiced up wrecker as guardian power. Um, 
After sending Loki back where he came from, the Wrecker ramps up his super crime wave. Uh, Thor, Sif, and Balder go after him, but the Wrecker sends them back to Asgard as well. Because uh, he's got a lot of power. This guy, um, you know, just went from burglar with a crowbar, who's pretty strong, to god-like power. And so it leaves Thor with his regular god strength and no hammer powers to fight the wrecker and it doesn't go great for him uh no, no. he gets pretty... um, even the cops a whole bunch of cops open fire on him they're just all shooting at him and it doesn't work at all no weapon can harm the wrecker he says he finds that out quick i always like when these guys get powers and they're immediately the cockiest dudes like this is gonna last forever uh, <laughs> It does. Go, I mean, he he just like crowbars off the top of a building like, uh, yeah, you know, well, that's yeah, that's where this comic really uh, gets pretty sweet. Yeah. yeah, there's so many amazing scenes of destruction in this issue. Like Kirby just went all out. It's so much fun. Yeah. it. I mean, it puts him over even though his costume doesn't do it. Uh, you know, if you crowbar off like the top couple floors of a building, you we get that you're you're pretty yeah, powerful. He's straight up. I like to. Um, I, last time I was on, there was another, I don't even remember who it was, but there was another fight like this where they were in like uh, the industrial area and they were just knocking buildings over. And I'm thinking to myself, like they're, at the very least, there's a homeless guy in that building. Like someone yeah. died, you know, there's very yeah. few multi-story buildings where no one is inside of them. Uh, and these guys are knocking over buildings like crazy, like the whole, <laughs> like uh, the, the newer Avenger stuff. Like it, he is just tearing down buildings and I, I i feel like it's on purpose they always draw the building to look a little bit desolate like it's not an yep. apartment building you know right uh, right, right. Uh, yeah. so you're not uh assuming like oh boy like 600 people died just now yeah um, this, this but somebody like, died oh yeah it's somebody yeah. on the street there's gotta be some cop casualties too <laughs> yeah. you know like uh there's like no one in the alleys nearby <laughs> there's no one out on the street like uh so this is this is like a whole era of Marvel Comics where Stanley was trying to convince us that there was an entire section of New York City that was just abandoned buildings and warehouses just for and fighting. Yeah. I, just, I don't think that was That's ever like, the case. Maybe Detroit you could knock down a few houses and not actually get you'd still probably kill somebody, you know, to Noah's right. point. Somebody's in there. Um yep. Well, okay, so back in Asgard, Sif and Balder watch Thor getting pummeled with Odin. They're just like watching WrestleMania. Um, Balder warns Odin that Thor is going to get killed if Odin doesn't do something. And Odin just shrugs. Yeah, he doesn't even care. He says, he's like, my son hath erred. He must pay his penance. Whatever, Whatever the danger, I shall not intrude. So be it. So Odin's pissed. Yeah, uh, yeah, and that's shit. and it's all just because they went to Earth where the mortals are, or whatever. That's the that's the. Yeah, that's he's like, don't he go to about. Earth, and they're like, we want to go to Earth, and then he's like, well, fine, die. <laughs> yeah, that's just yeah. he's not a good dad, and that's probably why Loki turned out bad. He's yeah. loving sometimes, but he's got mood swings, man. Um, he does. Yeah, yeah. and then uh, so after all this, there's the backup story with um, Black Bolt as a baby. Um, he cries. And he destroys his family's house. Uh, that's pretty much it. It's like, yep. you know, yeah, he blows up a huge building and really messes it up with just a Yeah, cry. the baby, uh, such strong powers that it cries and it collapses a building onto itself. And so um, out of its own self-preservation, it creates like a force field bubble around itself, which 
shuts it up for a little while. Um, but I like too. they're like, Oh, thank God my baby's still alive. And a little bit of me, you know, I don't have kids, so I guess I can't relate, but I feel like uh, it's okay if he's dead. Uh, you know, like, <laughs> we probably don't want that baby to say yeah, anything it's like, else. I, so, I know. Yeah. I, one thing I do know about kids is they're a lot of work. Um, and I feel like if you're, when your baby cries that the house explodes and the whole neighborhood like falls over. Yeah. Um, I, yeah. Yeah. Babies, babies cry a lot. If this is yeah. what you're in for for the next three to five years, like I don't know. Yeah, I don't know if this is a blessing. But. Yeah, the I do like that the little baby black bolt, um, little baby black bolt in a in his bubble, uh, he's floating in this in this little cradle, which looks so much like, um, you know, Gro, Gregu. What's his name? Grogu. Oh, Grogu. Uh, from. I love how much uh, scandal that's caused. Everybody's mad. They shouldn't have let everybody be calling it Baby Yoda for so long. Um, yeah. But anyway, it looks like a Baby movie. Yoda cradle. And I'm like, they totally got that from there. Yeah. Yeah, you're right. It does. Um, that's it. That's that's it. Thor. Yeah. So um, we take a break and uh, we will come back and talk about the X-Men here on Marvel by the Month. We are going to talk about X-Men number 40. Uh, the main story is called The Mark of the Monster, which was written by Roy Thomas, art by Don Heck, inked by George Tuska. And then there's a backup story, The First Evil Mutant, also written by Roy Thomas, art by Werner Roth, inked by John Verputin. So this main story, um, uh, this is a story that according to the comics code of 1954, should not have been able to be published. Um, but rascally Roy Thomas found a loophole. Um, so the, the comics code, which all mainstream comics were subject to at the time, uh, one of the rules of it was that uh, scenes dealing with or instruments associated with walking dead, torture, vampires, and vampirism, ghouls, cannibalism, and werewolfism are prohibited. Werewolfism? That's not even the right term. <laughs> I know. I know dickheads. So we're, we're in 67 now in, in January, 1971, the code did, uh, modify, it was modified, uh, to permit depictions of vampires, ghouls, and werewolves when handled in the classic tradition, such as Frankenstein, Dracula, and other high caliber literary works written by Edgar Allan Poe. Oh my God. Uh, Saki Conan Doyle and other respected authors who works are read around in schools around the world. Uh, but we're not there yet. Uh, um, didn't they ban the word like weird and queer yes. and uh, uh, weird horror? Yeah, there were a bunch of words that you couldn't use in titles of books. No one could commit a crime and get away with a crime. You couldn't show someone being killed unless they deserve to be killed. Like, yeah, <laughs> it, it was there were a lot of a lot of. So like Strange. a non-white person could could be killed. Yeah, basically. Yeah. yeah. Well, oh. yeah. In '54. Yeah. Um, uh, so yeah, that stuff is. Cr is oh, it's it's, nuts. it's wild. I have that um, cool uh, Tales from the Crypt book that goes through like the whole uh, legacy, uh, and yeah. it, it talks quite a bit about that. And just every time enough t enough time goes by, where I sort of forget how absurd the comics code 
what is it? Comics Code Authority. Yes. It's, a, it's such a fascist name to begin with. <laughs> oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. I, I got a T-shirt that <laughs> it just it, it's a parody of the Comics Code seal. And it says uh, approval is an authoritarian concept. <laughs> <laughs> That's awesome. Yeah. Before we dive into this. Yeah. The cover of this has two awesome things. One is just uh, the X-Men meet Frankenstein. Nuff said. That's like, <laughs> <laughs> Let's just cut to the chase. Yep. Uh, even though he's on the cover. But um, I also love uh, the mark of the monster, it says at the bottom. And uh, you got the X-Men. They're all running into the room. But as usual, the Beast... For some reason, he has to have his feet like way out in front of him. Gotta and show those feet. <laughs> those and they're over like, the like title. Yeah. yeah like, I hate Rob, feet. Rob yeah. loves seeing a giant foot right on the cover, a giant naked foot right yeah. in his face. I love it when the beast becomes blue and furry. Like, I just he's love way it. cooler blue and furry. Yeah. Uh, oh, yeah. Yeah. He's right now, he's just like a barefoot man, which is gross. And I do, I like, <laughs> I, I don't have the same hangups that Rob has, but, um, <laughs> Like a, and I am barefoot right now. Um, in oh, fact, sick. You just be glad that the camera only shows my shoulders up. Um, <laughs> what wait, wait, wait. He's just. What, what do you like, think? What, I what, what, what else? Are you, like, are you shirt I, cocking right now, dude? Um, are you Donald yeah. ducking? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I cut my shirt uh, just above my breasts. Um, this isn't even a shirt. This is a, a dish towel over my shoulders. <laughs> uh, yeah, but there's uh, okay. I'm in the privacy of my own home. All right, so yeah. I do what I want. But I put shoes on when I go outside. Period. End of story. Like yeah, sure. there's never an exception. There's stuff out uh, there. So I do agree with Rob. Like if you're outside, cover those freaking feet, you know. And Crocs don't don't cut it. So um, <laughs> you know, just cover them all the way up. I don't want to yeah. see them. Don't put Birkenstocks. And socks with Birkenstocks don't work either. So um, yeah, I, I have a I have a lot of beef with uh, the Beast. Um, not as much as Rob, probably, but I just also think he's gonna hurt his feet. Like, it's not like he has super powered feet. Yeah. What know? if a villain threw a bunch of Legos on the ground in front of him? <laughs> yeah. No, yeah. No, never know. It's his only vulnerability. Yeah. <laughs> but yeah, like like you said, like right on the cover, you have Frankenstein. Like, uh, well, they say Frankenstein. It's, it's technically Frankenstein's monster. I actually, um, uh, I was thinking about that too because later they do say Frankenstein's monster, but um, yeah, I. Uh, I love calling Frankenstein's monster Frankenstein. And I like the idea of Frankenstein's also. Yeah. Uh, like Dracula's. Yes. I love like I love it when people Yeah. Uh. No, every, every uh, uh, everyone knows that that Frankenstein was the doctor and the monster is the person who points out that Frankenstein was actually the doctor. <laughs> but it, but it, the point that that I was making earlier is that you should not have even been able to show Frankenstein's monster on the cover of this thing. Like the code took this this weird nonsense really really seriously. Like it was so strictly enforced that in 1970 there was a writer for DC Comics named Marv Wolfman and his name was flagged as a violation of the comics code <laughs> until it was explained to them that Wolfman was his actual last name. And then they let it through. So anyway, uh, the adversary in this X-Men story is the actual Frankenstein's monster. It says so right on the cover in the original novel and film adaptations, Frankenstein's monster is stitched together from bits and pieces of dead people. Mm -hmm. So that makes him walking dead. 
which makes him a comics code no-no. He never should have been able to be in this thing. But Rob, how did Roy Thomas get around this? Uh, He has Professor X uh, tell us on page four that uh, he says, I suspect that the supposed monster was in truth a super powerful android. Of course. And just in case. Yeah, why would you suspect that? That, That's like the last thing you would expect that it's an android from like, yeah, I, I think he has no justification. Yeah, he just <laughs> that's what I thought. That, it's just like, no, I think he I think he's an android like, because oh, if, okay. if I don't think he's yeah. an android, the comics code is not going to let us publish the story. Yeah, so, so I have yeah. to I have to assume that Gene Gene says, do you think that the real creature was a mutant, which w- that would make sense. You could be like, OK, somehow he's a mutant. I'll go with that. But stitched together from other mutants. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but then uh, he says it's a super powerful android and it, it may prove that the creator was a mutant of, right. you know, so now they're, they're interested in, in Frankenstein's monster or one of the Frankensteins, as we like to say. Um, right. But yeah, super powerful android out of nowhere. And just in case, just to keep the comics code off, professor X says, if he, if he was truly an Android, he cannot die as we know it. Uh, and if he can't die, then he can't be dead. So he can't be walking dead. Bam. Take that comics code. There you go. This is the bird. Yeah. Your face. Yep. Um, so, uh, let's back up a second and talk (laughs) about how the X-Men got into this situation. Um, so the issue starts out with a little danger room practice, uh, followed by Professor X summoning the X-Men to the study. Uh, he says that Frankenstein's monster has been found near the Arctic Circle. And then, uh, like you mentioned, Rob, Professor X wants him to go capture it because by examining him, I may prove that his creator, whoever he may have been, was a mutant. So that's kind of a pretty shaky justification, but <laughs> hey, it gets Frankenstein into your comic. What do you want, kid? Uh my favorite part of Professor X's little setup here is that he says, I've always suspected that he really existed, but I thought he was gone forever. And none <laughs> of the X-Men seem overly concerned that their mentor believes that Frankenstein was yeah. a nonfiction book. <laughs> but don't you think that maybe they just wanted to get beyond that? And like, you know, sometimes somebody will say something so crazy that part of you is like, I want to know more. But the other part of you is like, well, they are my friend uh, and I don't want to know <laughs> anymore. Uh, cause I feel like everybody around him is like, yikes. Uh, well, sure, that's, bud. so that, yeah. that's the most charitable explanation. The other explanation is that he has got these kids so brainwashed. True. Oh that yeah. Like, a child yeah. army. Yeah, know? no, totally. Like Frankenstein's probably a real thing. And they're like, yeah, he is. Yeah. So like QAnon level, uh, shit going yeah, on. Yeah. Whatever you yeah. say, boss. Um, yep. <laughs> yeah. so, uh, so yeah, anyway, Frankenstein's monster has been taken to the city museum the city museum for study, you know, New York's famous city museum. (laughs) (laughs) Yep. Uh, And then inside the, the scientist who found him decides to mess with the temperature of the case he's being held in, which can I ask really quick? Is this guy just a throwaway? He's not a dude, right? Like Dr. Powell. No, he's just a, just some random. Yeah. 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 Uh, But he's awesome. He's got uh, sweet amazing hair. hair. Look yeah. at that. That's like uh, up there in my top two for my panel of the of the month here. So. With, yeah. his, with his cigarette on the the stem. What do you call that thing? I forget. The cigarette holder. Yeah. yeah. What is, yeah. is it just called a cigarette holder? I don't know. It's probably yeah, that fancy that name. That fell out of fashion. 
I like that point. he's just immediately like starting to mess with it, and the other, you know, uh, yeah, the guy's the like museums. lower the temperature. But Doctor Powell, isn't that extremely dangerous? What if it's alive? And uh, he doesn't give a shit. He's like, of course it's not alive. Uh, then what are you doing? Like, what? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> why did you bring this all the way back? Yeah, why do you want to melt this thing? Yeah, no, it, it, it's really great. Like, it's so efficient. Like uh, Don Heck has two panels to get across the idea that this is a guy who is just egotistically messing with science that he shouldn't be tampering with. And yeah. he absolutely nails it in two panels. Yeah. Classic scientist that's just in it for the money. Yeah. <laughs> and the whatever hair products. Yeah. Um, so yeah, so monster, uh, they, they mess with the temperature. The monster wakes up, goes in a rampage. The X-Men arrive just in time to get beaten up. And the monster is especially upset by their brightly colored costumes. We don't know why yet, but that's something that really sticks in his craw. Yeah. And he's going to crush them like fleas, just like Loki was going to crush uh, the record, like a flea. Yeah. So, Do you know how hard it is to crush a flea? It's like hard. it's impossible. It's yeah. impossible. Uh, when I was a kid, I, I actually saw a flea at my grandma's house and I tried to crush it and it didn't work and it jumped and then I, it vanished. Yeah. So write that down. Yep. Uh, Frankenstein's monster hops on board a freighter heading south. The X-Men follow. Um, and uh, after an extended fight on the ship, Professor X orders Iceman to freeze the monster, which destroys it. Yeah. And that, like it was already frozen when they found it. It's like, yeah, I feel like that was, you know, it should have been the first thing you tried is to freeze it again. Um, also, I, I mean, Iceman has been with them the whole time here. Like, He's asked it to, like, st- he, they, they're holding him in reserve. Yeah. I do like um, that. Like for most of these comics, fist fighting, whatever it is, is the first thing they go to. Like let's, it's a giant uh, deadly robot. Like let's punch it in the face. Uh, <laughs> yep. And then we'll try a logical approach. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> we learned about the Frankenstein's uh, origin because professor X, uh, he, so uh, he's been trying to read the monster's mind the whole issue uh and he can't actually read it until they finally beat it and they destroy it uh, and then in that last second somehow he's able to read its mind and he learns that it was it, it, this is uh, roy thomas has done this a few times um lately where he just crams in the whole explanation in the last like half page the entire backstory this could yeah. be like this could be like a 12 issue arc yeah but it's just a here you go yeah, Crazy so town. Uh, yeah. It, it was an android constructed by aliens from a tropical climate. It was dropped on off on Earth 150 years ago as a sort of interstellar ambassador, uh, but it went berserk, so the aliens had to pursue it to the polar regions where it froze. And the reason it hated the X-Men uh, was because their costumes were as colorful as the aliens, uh, the alien creators. So that's why this all happened. Uh, um, that gets explained in two panels yeah yeah on the last page of this story that's yes. two panels of a what is it a seven panel page yeah. so i'm like the and it's just insanity um, yeah oh and then professor x erases the memories of the entire crew of the ship of course oh yeah uh, <laughs> the end because it wouldn't be an x-men adventure if professor x didn't just ruin everyone's mind and, yeah so he did everything and then erased everybody's mind Yep. Yeah, usual. Like, yeah. That's a pretty manipulative thing to do. Yeah. And I do seem to remember uh you guys were just talking about how he like sends kids into battle with uh Elliot Kalen. Yeah. He like lets them 
get in way over their head. Like you shouldn't let teenagers do this kind of shit. And then like at the last second, he's like, I'll just deal with it. And with my mind powers, and it's like, yeah. you just done that. Like, can you just like save these 15 year old kids from having to see this? I think a X-Men comic that would be better is to take all the X-Men comics we've had. And every page is just a new villain. Professor X shows up, wipes their mind, wipes everybody else's mind. Just page, 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 20 villains dealt with done yep just thousands of people with blank spots in their memories um there you go that's professor x there is a backup story uh, and origins of the uncanny x-men story uh it's continued from the previous issue uh where cyclops meets the legendary jack o diamonds uh who's billed <laughs> as the first evil mutant um as tom brevoort implied in our last episode really not worth getting into <laughs> i think this gets knocked out of canon at some point but um or it just doesn't matter yeah so he, uh, he's he's a he's a mutant who can he can teleport and has diamond hands and he's um, got mind powers he can he's sense got mind powers too, too. Yeah. yeah yeah i was dying I, I actually i was that i thought was pretty funny it's so stupid that uh even a kid i feel like would reject that idea that it's like um his hands were exposed to like radiation or something. Uh, and then they turned into diamonds. Yeah. Uh, and also, also, that's not a mutant. That's <laughs> yeah, yeah. Yeah. It's not. It's some like something, uh, an acute thing happened that turned your hands into diamonds that like, yeah, that's not a, a mutant. That's like being bitten by a radioactive spider. Anyway, th- there, there's your, there's your, uh, your dose of X-Men for the month. Um, that's our comics for the month. Uh, now it is time to get into our panels of the month. Uh, the single panels uh, that stay with us for whatever reason, good, bad, or otherwise. Um, I will start out my, my panel. I'm not going to belabor this point. It's uh, Daredevil 36, page one, panel one. Uh it's i'm still so upset by that panel um i'm not even gonna get into it anymore we 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 did it during the recap uh but yeah that's something that will haunt me uh till at least next episode uh rob what do you got uh i have this one was so awesome i can't even it's dan adkins doing art on the strange tales uh dr strange story number 165 um page 11 so it's the last last page of this dr strange story it's the only panel um and there's two things I like about this story. One is there, there's the scientist supreme, uh, Yandroth. But in this story, he is referred to as a, as the science lord. So I ran around the house all week just saying I was a science lord. Um, and that uh, made Barb fairly unhappy. Yeah. And then I kept doing it. Just making and the then pandemic we, that much worse for your yeah, wife. Huh? So, so I'm probably going to get kicked out of this place pretty soon, but I'm still a science lord. But um, <laughs> so the science lord Yandroth has unleashed his amazing doomsday machine. It's like he's flipping switches. He's it's once he's flipped them, it's going to come out. Uh, so it's just built up. And, it, and then at the end, we see it's this giant buckety robot uh <laughs> who has like lightning drumsticks he looks he's, like he's got a headband on too um he's literally a drum machine yeah and his name is <laughs> voltor yeah uh and it just seen the something about it one it looked pretty cool uh but it also just looked like a weird robot drummer uh so it was like this huge build up the science lord made a giant buckety <laughs> robot drummer 
And I thought that is the dumbest thing. And I loved it so much. Yeah. Uh, It's such a great example of just the fun stupidity of silver age comics. Like, yeah, it's just joyful in its idiocy. Yeah. And it's very metal. Like this, this could be a sweet poster. Um, uh, also Voltor with two R's on the end. Uh, that's what he said. It's called out here. That's his name. Immediately, the next issue on the cover and all within it, he's called Voltorg. So you know he's not going to be around for very long <laughs> if they <laughs> got his they name in one <laughs> issue. The creator of the guy was like, I don't remember what I called him. I was drunk. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Noah, Noah, what do you got for your panel? I got, um, I am glad you guys didn't pick it. Um, <clears throat> Daredevil number 36, page 10, the whole slide. You already talked about how killer it is, but um, it's Daredevil. He's fighting Pace Pot Pete on his iron magic carpet. Um, and uh, Daredevil stupidly knocks too many anti-gravity discs off of the magic carpet. So they're sort of plummeting to the ground. And uh, Pace Pot Pete is basically like, you idiot, like we're going to die. And Daredevil's like, uh, we do have a chance. We do have a chance, Charlie, but only one. I've uh, I have a better sense of balance than you or anyone. It's a little bit cocky, but um, <laughs> he says to Pace Pop Pete, "Remain perfectly motionless and let me guide this gadget down. I'll skim her between the buildings and belly whop her on the sidewalk. All you have to do is freeze." And Pace Pop Pete, who is in a very compromising position on the thing, he says, "You're a madman." but I haven't any choice. So he just <laughs> basically like some kind of tantric uh, crash landing. Uh, <laughs> what the, the poses that they're doing on that thing are hilarious. There's like pigeons in the foreground, like flapping out of its way. Uh, it's an awesome uh, panel and a hilarious bit of conversation as basically <laughs> they're plummeting to their deaths and they're basically <laughs> arguing with each other about you need to stay perfectly still while I use my balance. I have better balance than anyone, you know? Yeah. Uh, and, and basically baseball Pete resigns himself to the fact that I guess you're right. Like I, w- <laughs> I will stay as still as possible while you, uh, <laughs> well, you almost kill us when you <laughs> yeah. just, uh, read Pacebot Pete's dialogue. I so much wanted to make a cartoon and have you voice Pacebot <laughs> Pete. Oh God. <laughs> He's my spirit animal. Uh, man. All right. Uh, uh, last thing we got is recommendations. So this season we are recommending uh, comics that are not Silver Age Marvel comics um, to show that we have depth and breadth also as comics fans. Um, my recommendation uh, this week is uh, Something is Killing the Children uh, by James uh, Tinian, uh, the fourth. Uh, so there's been three others of him. Uh, as far as I know, they were not comic book writers. Uh, Werther Del Edera and Miguel Muerto. Uh, Miguel Muerto is exactly the person you want coloring a comic called yeah. Something is Killing the Children. <laughs> um, it does exactly what it says on the tin. Uh, it combines my favorite parts of Stranger Things and Buffy the Vampire Slayer. Um, it's not afraid to get pretty intense, but it never quite feels gratuitous. Um, the second volume of the trade paperback just came out. Uh, I devoured it, uh, not unlike how the titular somethings are devouring children. Um, uh, it's a really, really great comic, uh, and I highly recommend it. I've resisted saying anything about the plot because I, I think as it unfolds, uh, that's part of the uh, the 
the awesomeness of the first volume. So, uh, but yeah, definitely pick it up. Definitely check it out. You will not be disappointed. Dang. I got to put that on my list too. Um, so my, my recommendation, uh, I was reminded of, of a great book, uh, because of a weird exchange we had on Facebook, but, uh, I'll start with it. Marvels. Um, so even though we do have breadth, I'm going to talk again about silver and golden age comics. Um, Kurt, uh, music and Alex Ross. Um, they, if you haven't read this, um, or heard us, or if you've ever heard us retell an early Marvel comic and wondered what it would really be like to witness those events, um, that's what this does. It's like artfully painted, beautiful work, super research. So every detail is like referencing tiny little things from a lot of these books and books from the, the golden age too. Uh, but yeah, if you see like uh, a person burst into flames in real life, that's what you, you get to see these kinds of reactions of people just like losing their minds and hiding. Um, it's like, it's so good. Um, so I'd read it. It's it just, it, it paints this, like such a realist portrait. If you, that can be said about a Marvel universe, um, of, of the, these golden and silver age heroes. So it goes, it goes from like the fifties, I think, or maybe even forties or thirties all the way to 70. It's, it's great. Noah, do you have a comic book to recommend? I don't, I don't. Um, but I do want to recommend one piece of media that is not comic related, um, but I feel like I should get a pass because I'm not a, as big of a nerd as you guys. Fair enough. Um, I saw the show How To with John Wilson. Uh, it's on HBO, HBO Max. And it is the most, it's the best show that I've seen this year. It's my favorite thing. It's a docu-series uh, about John Wilson. He lives in New York. I'm pretty sure he just films every waking moment of his life. And he puts together these, uh, they're about 30 minutes long. They're like tutorials on how to like live a, your life, like how to, ha- how to make small talk, um, how to put up scaffolding, um, how to like, <laughs> how to split the check how to cover your furniture. It <laughs> is, uh, it's a masterpiece. It is. Um, I don't, uh, I'm a huge fan of fishing with John, with John Lurie. Um, and although it doesn't really um, have that same feeling, it, it makes me feel that same way. It's a show that you're like, how the hell did this get made? But at the same time, it's, it's so, so great. How to with John Wilson uh, hunt it down and watch it. Uh, it's the most heartwarming and weird and uh, hilarious uh, show. It's just one guy's voice talking over the top of a bunch of footage that he's shot. It took him two years to make six episodes, so don't expect any more of them. I would assume, but um, nice. You have to dig in there to find it, but um, uh, it's not comic related. And I apologize to all the nerds, um, but it is uh, it is still uh, pretty nerdy and uh, and very hilarious. Well, thank you. Thank you so much for the recommendation. And and thank you for joining us for your record shattering seventh Seven appearance episodes. I can't wait yeah. to do that. You better have me back. I know you guys are big time in me at this point. Like, uh, I, I'm just a, I'm a nobody. I don't, at this point, I, I feel like people are listening to episode I'm on and they're like, Oh, this guy's, this is the dude who doesn't know anything about comics. Why the <laughs> on? I feel like you should get hate mail about me. Uh, and if you're getting it, I'm, and you're not sharing it with me, I'm going to be pissed. So. Well, if, if anyone would like to send us hate mail about Noah's appearances, <laughs> uh, you can do that. Uh, you can send it to marvelbythemonth at gmail.com. Uh, <laughs> 
post it on our Instagram uh, at Marvel by the month or any of our social channels. Uh, yeah, uh, we'll we'll absolutely read it on Noah's next appearance. Um, uh, leave leave an Apple Podcast review, a five star review uh, that specifically mentions how much you don't like seeing Noah uh, on here. Uh, take a screenshot of that review and send it to us at Marvel by the month at gmail We will eventually put something in the mail for you as a thank you. Um, marvelbythemonth.com is the website that has links to our social channels as well as our shop and that's pretty much all we got this week Um, yeah uh, until next week my name is Brian Stratton and mine is Rob Milne stay safe stay healthy stay inside and read comics (laughs) 